Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hi, and welcome to today's Daily Duff Differently edition. My name is David Wise. I'm the rabbi at the Hollisills Jewish Center in Queens. So we're up to Eruvin Pei Dalad, page 84 of Masechet Eruvin. Yesterday, we encountered the Mishnah dealing with the shared space of a chatzer, a courtyard, by those who live below and those who live above on a mirpeset. And they made separate Eruvin, but didn't pool their resources. At the end of 83b, the Gemara solves four hypothetical cases, treating them all as if no Eruv exists, but then asks about a fifth hypothetical, where the group above has access to the Chatzar by lowering an object, while the group below can only throw the object. Rav, the first-generation Babylonian Amora, said we treat the situation as if there's no Eruv at all. That is, there's no recourse to carrying or handling objects there. But Shmuel said that since lowering is more convenient than throwing or raising, those who can lower may make use of the Chatzer. What will follow here on 84 are a series of questions challenging Rav's restrictive ruling in light of the Mishnah, and then another set of questions challenging Shmuel's ruling, also in light of Tanaitic sources. I'll address one challenge to each sage in detail. A challenge to Rav from the words of the Mishnah itself. When the two groups neglect to make a common Eruv, anything that is ten Tvachim, or handbreadths high or above, belongs to the Bnei Mirpeset, the residents above. Now, we imagine that those who are called Bnei Mirpeset actually live in what is called an Aliyah, which is a story that is ten Tvachim above the Mirpeset, the balcony, and we only call them Bnei Mirpeset because they use the Mirpeset as climbing access to their own residence. So their access to anything that is ten Tvachim high is Bishil Shul, by reaching down or lowering. Being above the Mirpeset, their access is now more convenient than it is to those below in the Chatzer. With that being the discrepancy, it would seem that the Mishnah, in saying, Kol shegavoa asarat vachim la Mirpeset, anything ten or higher goes to the Mirpeset dwellers, who uses the convenience factor just as Shmuel does. Whereas Rav has made it off-limits to both sets of residents, regardless of convenience. If so, says the Gemara, Rav's ruling is inconsistent with the very words of the Mishnah. To resolve the challenge to Rav, the Gemara answers that we rely on Rav Huna's thought that the phrase B'nai Mirpeset 
means just that. Those whose residence is on the same level as the Mirpeset, not on some slightly higher floor. That being the case, even Rav would agree that they would have access to something, ten tvachim high, for there's no exertion involved in reaching said item. They don't have to reach up, they just have to reach out. Now we have made, and we may have encountered this before, but it's worth mentioning here anyway. In resolving the challenge to Rav, the Gemara says, Kidza Amar Rav Huna. It's like what Rav Huna said. Rav Huna was not commenting on this particular challenge by the Gemara to Rav, but his interpretation of the phrase Benemir Peset offered in a different context is extrapolated for use here in order to rescue Rav from difficulty. It's helpful for us as students of the Gemara to know when Talmudic sages are responding directly to a debate and when their words are being accessed by the Gemara and applied, as it were, externally. As we progress through Eruvin Peidalid, we find challenges to Shmuel's ruling as well. He had invoked the principle that when an action is convenient for one and less so for the other, we rule in favor of the one for whom it's more convenient. The entirety of Peidalit Amud Bet 84b is occupied with one challenge to Shmuel from a forthcoming Mishnah. But first, a word about the term Gezustraot. A Gezustra is a balcony that juts out over the sea. Now, if one makes a hole in the Gezustra and a Mechitza ten tfachim above or below it, one may actually draw water from the sea below on Shabbat. So, what happens if the residents of the upper Gezustra made such arrangements before Shabbat, but the lower residents didn't. The Mishnah rules that unless they made a common Eruv, they're both out of luck. Implicit here is that the convenience quotients are not equal. If I live in the Gezustra above, all I have to do is lower a bucket. But if I live below, I must first raise or throw a bucket to my neighbors above and then lower it once I get it back. For me, living below, it's more of a hassle, which, according to Shmuel, should mean that for my neighbors above, for whom it is more convenient or at least less inconvenient, well, then they ought to be able to draw the water without making our home's common property via an A-roof which is what the Mishnah requires. The Gemara proposes a few answers that would get Shmuel off the hook and maybe even prove him correct. Ultimately, though, no one attempt in our Gemara to champion either Rav or Shmuel is foolproof, and the Gemara will move on to other matters tomorrow. But let's dwell on one issue that arises in the final attempt to show that Shmuel is right. It's introduced by Rav Papa, who suggests that a roof adjacent to the public domain, Rishut HaRabim, may also constitute a separate Rishut HaRabim if it is commonly used by people, get this, placing their hats and turbans on it. 
In Rav Papa's time and place, 4th century Babylonia, it apparently was common for people to remove their hats in the public place. The Gemara notes that they looked for a place to hang their hats and considered the status of such a hat rack. Now, must we assume that the male Jews Rav Papa knew were wearing kippot under their hats and turbans? Or can we imagine that they'd be comfortable and accepted being bareheaded in the public domain? Rashi, writing seven centuries later, explains why Jews would do this. Quite simply, it's a matter of air conditioning. People, when tired during the summer, would remove their head coverings until the breeze cools them. At least, that was the realia in Rashi's time, and maybe also in Rav Papa's. So, what's the role of head coverings today? And what factors, including comfort, would permit us to go with our heads uncovered? Or, conversely, when is it more comfortable to cover up? Food for thought. Until tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.